Welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast, where you will find the inspiration and motivation you need to manage your money better so you can stress less and live the life you want. This is Ashley with Budgets Made Easy and the Money Mindset Podcast. Today we are talking to Eric Brotman, who is a CFP and the CEO of BFG Financial Advisors. And he is the host of Don't Retire, Graduate Podcast. So don'tretiregraduate.com. Check out his podcast as well. And he's going to give us some great advice for families on how to take advantage of certain things during this financial crisis. You know, if you can, if you're still working, he's got some really great tips on lowering your tax burden and some things that you can do to take advantage of certain things happening right now in the financial world. So you can take this crisis and turn it into a financial win. And so he's got some really great ideas on how to do that. Now, before we jump into his episode, be sure to go and check out my free spreadsheet. I put together a spreadsheet after years of people asking me to, and you can get a free Uh, one month sheet of that, or you can get the whole year. You get a special offer for the whole year. Once you sign up for the free sheet, go to leads.budgetsmadeeasy.com slash budget dash sheet. And I will link to it in the show notes as well. So go get your free paycheck budget spreadsheet. So this is the same spreadsheet that I use when we were paying off debt. It's broken down by paychecks, plus you got a monthly view. Now keep in mind the free sheet isn't as detailed as the yearly sheet. So if you want the yearly sheet, look for that once you sign up for the free sheet as well. Now here is my interview with Eric. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me. I am so um, excited to talk to you today. Um, It's my understanding that you've got some good advice for families in different stages, what to do with their finances right now during this whole crisis. And um, I really want to talk to you about that today, but can you just kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, I'm a certified financial planner practitioner, started a a company uh, in 2003 in suburban Maryland actually started my practice in 1994, so I'm dating myself, I realize, but um, (laughs) at this moment, we have 20 employees, each of us working from 20 different homes, which is a a new experience, but uh, eight financial advisors, 20 employees, we manage about $450 million for families in 31 states and a few foreign countries, uh, and we do financial planning and wealth management for multi-generational families, so in my my spare time, I'm a husband and a father and a podcaster and an author and, and a volunteer. Yes, I was just uh, hearing about your book coming out soon, so I'm excited to hear about that as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now, and I know people are scared, and, you know, we don't know what the economy and everything is going to look like on the other side of this thing. Um, So, you know, what kind of advice would you give to families right now? Like, is there anything that they should be doing differently well, I, I, th- I think in each case, it depends upon the family situation somewhat. Um, right now, there are a lot of families who are experiencing sudden job loss. Mm-hmm. And for those families, um, the things to do differently are, are really based on almost triage. You just have to get through this period of time, however long it lasts. And that's easier said than done sometimes. So for, 
for families who've had sudden jo job loss, uh, the first thing to do is to sort of take, uh, take inventory of resources, figure out what you're going to live on for the next couple of months in addition to unemployment, uh, and, and really make a plan for getting back to work at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. So um, there's not as much opportunity, quite candidly, for folks who are out of work, and that's obviously a, a sad situation. Um, for folks who are still able to work through this, um, I think we'll look back on this five years from now, not only as being memorable and remarkable in, on so many social levels, but also as being one of the great opportunities of a generation. Um, you know, we've seen some of this before in the Y2K epidemic uh, in 99 and 2000. We certainly saw it in the Great Recession in 08, 09. And every decade or so, there's some new um, crisis, some new wrinkle that causes economic turmoil. And there are always winners and losers in those deals. And usually it's based on behavior, not circumstance. All right. So, yeah. So that said, um, for young families... Ashley, this is an opportunity for young families who are working to continue to dollar cost average, continue to add to your 401k, continue to add to your HSA account, continue to fund your 529 plans. Um, whatever you're doing that's growing money, particularly in a way that's going to be tax-free later, mm -hmm. is a total home run. We have relatively low market value, so you're buying on sale. And we have the lowest tax rate in modern history right now. And I assure you that is not going to last, and I don't think it matters. Uh, the outcome of the election in November is less important than the fact that there was just a two-plus trillion-dollar stimulus plan that somebody's got to pay the bill for. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious your your thoughts um, on the stimulus plan. A lot of people have asked me um, how that will affect um, inflation. Do you have any kind of insight into that? Inflation is, is generally a, a factor of either Fed policy, monetary policy, or it's a factor of, um, of interest rates around the world and, and the confluence of those. So what I would say is right now, there's no inflation on the horizon. Um, there is a, a blossoming national debt that if we haven't already decided the debt is a crisis, it's a crisis waiting to happen. So mm -hmm. um, th that'll be an issue. Um, but in terms of inflation, there's no reason to believe that that's on its way. We haven't seen significant inflation in this country in 30 years, more than that. And so there's an entire generation, in fact, two generations who don't really know what inflation looks like. Um, you know, I remember it as a young person, basically. And I, I know that the house I grew up in, we financed uh, with a mortgage at like 16%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> buying a house with a Visa card. That's kind of what that looked like. Um, and so, of course, there were refinances all the way down. We're so used to cheap money, we're not going to know what to do when it gets more expensive. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that, that there is no meaningful inflation on the horizon right now. Um, the uh, Congressional Budget Office just suggested that the inflation rate over the next half decade to decade will be in the 2.2 to 2.4% ballpark. The only organization that has quoted a higher rate of inflation is Social Security Administration because they're backward looking. Mm -hmm. So I actually think inflation is going to be a non-issue. I think money is going to stay cheap. Um, the, the real question is um, whether people are able to take advantage of the buying opportunities in equity markets um, and whether bond markets are able to recover without too much of, a, of a, an oversupply with lots of people trying to sell. Right. Uh, and then what happens in real estate? 
because real estate is really, I think, going to take this on the chin, particularly commercial real estate. Um, there's there's going to be some major changes in that in that arena. Now, some people have asked uh, me as well. Um, you know, with the real estate now, the interest rates and stuff are already so low. Now with the Fed dropping the rate down to, well, last time I saw zero, um, I haven't been watching the news lately. It was just stressing me out. So um, I don't believe that it's changed since then, but um, you know, how will that affect like mortgage rates? Is my understanding that it won't really affect it because they're already so low? Well, not, not only are they so low, but they've actually come up and not because of what the Fed has done, but banks are recognizing that if they lend at those prevailing rates, it will, it'll cripple them for decades. Imagine if, if you had the ability to lend money to somebody on a fixed rate at what is, you know, one and a half, two, two and a half percent for 30 mm -hmm. years. If someone was willing to lend me personally a hundred million dollars at 2%, I would take it because there's no way I wouldn't out earn that. Mm -hmm. And so banks are going to get clobbered. So mortgage rates have actually come up, even though the Fed lowered their, their, their federal funds rate. Oh, I see. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, and the reason they've come up isn't because of economics. It's because of business. These banks don't want, they don't want to make loans. Oh, that makes sense though. Yeah. I didn't realize that part of it. <laughs> That's why I have you here. <laughs> well, you know, Wells Fargo, well, Wells Fargo has already turned off the spigot for the, for the payroll protection plan that came out as, as part of the CARES Act. Oh, and, wow. And, and they won't be alone. The, the, number one, that plan is going to run out of money quickly. And mm -hmm. number two, banks who are lending at that rate, even with some federal support, are going to get clobbered and they don't want to do it. Oh, I didn't realize that part. You yeah. know, it's great to borrow money at a low rate long term, but somebody's got to be willing to lend it. Exactly. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize that it was going through the banks like that whole, and I know I really should since I have a business, but I don't really have any employees. So I haven't like really dived into it um, for that stuff. I didn't realize it was having to like go through a bank. Well, it, it is. And the commercial banks, the private sector is working with the public sector on this, which generally pu uh, public private partnerships are the most effective anyway, in my opinion. But um, if you own a business, uh, Ashley, you ought to be looking into this now anyway, because there are uh, provisions in there, even for sole proprietors and folks with no employees. Yeah, I filled out something on the, <laughs> on the website the other day, but I was so confused. So I don't think I even filled it out right. But I don't, I don't think it was the payroll thing. I, I was, I'm so confused by all the different stuff going on, like the different or at least it seemed like it was different. Maybe it's all the same thing. The pay, the payroll thing I thought was a different thing. And I don't know. I'm totally confused by all of it. And then I try and read it and I get more confused because <laughs> well, it's like everybody's saying different things. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> anytime, anytime the federal government comes out with a plan, you can expect it'll be hundreds of pages long and, and completely opaque. And exactly. that's exactly what's happened. And, <laughs> and, and, and the implementation hasn't been smooth. And it no. And the back end won't be smooth. And, you know, the federal government generally doesn't run anything well. And no, no it's they don't. simply too enormous an organization. Mm -hmm. exactly. You're exactly right. I worked, uh, you know, for a local government and, you know, the same can be said for just about any government, just because of the politics involved. And then, you know, you've got the community to answer to and, you know, you can't always, you can't make everybody have, it's, you know, just the whole dynamic of it. And so I can only imagine, you know, on the government 
scale. <laughs> well, level, and that's, so. that's why I am very pleased to be neutral. I'm Switzerland. Um, <laughs> I, I, I truly don't want to take sides because I think both sides are messed up. Yeah, it's just, it's just a mess. Yeah, it, it yeah. <laughs> It's, it's so confusing too. So now for my listeners that I do have a lot of listeners that are small business owners. So what would you recommend for them at this time? Well, if you're still able to, to be in business, if you still have customers or clients or patients or, um, and are able to, to use your vendors and suppliers and, all, and so forth, and you're really unimpacted by this, um, then you're in the minority because most businesses are experiencing either supply chain issues or mm -hmm. employment issues or technology issues or finance issues. Um, it's sort of a perfect storm, actually. I, I think there's, there's, a, um, there's definitely a, a sense that for business owners to get out of what's sort of been thrust upon all of us, mm -hmm. um, we really have to, um, number one, stop spending things that we can avoid spending, really sort of clamp down on things that are unnecessary and focus on the things that will create long-term growth, things that might not work for three months or six months, but that will make us, uh, you know, better businesses three years from now. Mm -hmm. And so as an organization, you know, just our company, what we're doing is we're laying the foundation for the next, the next level of growth. We're treating uh, what started a month or two ago as a plateau that we're going to retreat from and then bust through. And that type of optimism is the only way I know how to do things. So that's, that's the way we're focused on it. And for business owners now, if you can keep your people employed with or without the federal assistance program, that in and of itself is amazing. I think there'll be some amazing employee loyalty and great stories out of this for those who are able to stay employed. I really hope so. And I think that, um, you know, this is going to be temporary. And once we get through it, that, you know, I hope it's not going to be, you know, as bad as some people uh, may think it's going to be, you know, we had a good economy before this happened. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll bounce back, but you know, there's probably going to be some ripple effects, you know, for a couple months at least. Um, but I think you know, overall things are going to be okay. I mean, you have to think positively or, you know, you're just going to be all depressed in your house, eating <laughs> well, all your food. I, <laughs> like yeah, me. Right. No. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not depressed, but, but what I will, what I will suggest to you though, is that we're not going to bounce back. Like it's like, it's, you know, elastic. This is not a right. Um, and there is going to be a new sense of normal. I mean, the idea in the same way that there is travel pre and post nine 11, Mm -hmm. There will be business and workforce pre and post COVID. Mm -hmm. And that's going to create some really amazing opportunities for certain folks. Like, for example, I think you'll see coming out of this, I think you'll see more telework. I yeah. think you'll see less boundaries and barriers in terms of hiring so that you'll be able to work from anywhere. Companies are learning how to do this, and it's actually quite effective and efficient. And um, saves them money. Well, it does. And I, I think you'll see better work-life balance for people, which is something we've talked about, but never actually mastered. Mm -hmm. um, Americans are lousy at that. We tend to be workaholics, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, do, I do think there'll be some work-life balance out of this and some appreciation for what's important. Um, I think there will be, um, as a result of some of this, there'll be less traffic. If there are less people who have to commute every day, there'll be less traffic. Mm -hmm. Less traffic means less pollution, less congestion, less expense on things like transportation. There, 
there's some positives that'll come out of this because new behaviors are being created. Absolutely. Um, there's also some challenges, one of which is, um, you know, retail and malls. I mean, retail has been on the on its heels since uh, 9-11 and it got worse in 08, 09, and it never fully recovered. And I think this is a bit of a death knell for mm -hmm. um, retail as we know it. Um, there, there's no middle, there's no middle ground. You either have to be the cheapest or the best. And so the companies like the Louis Vuittons of the world are probably going to be fine because they have they, they, their customers have an appetite for that and don't care. Mm -hmm. um, but everything else is going to look like Amazon or Walmart because most people who are trying to pinch pennies or what have you are, are going to do that a different way. So mm -hmm. retail is going to change. Office space is going to change. I mean, That's I true. would be darn nervous if I owned a a 50, a 50 story office tower in a major urban area, I would be nervous right now that there will be companies saying, you know, we can get by on half this space because we're going to have some folks working from home or, you know, we just don't need all this space. Mm -hmm. That's so, true. There'll be winners and losers out of this, but I, I really do think there'll be more winners than losers. I agree. I think that we, you know, just like you said, we're all going to learn from this and there'll be some changes and, you know, just like you said, a new normal, um, you know, everything's going to be a little bit different once we get on the other side of it. Yes, I think so. And I have a radical idea for you. Why don't we start making things in this country again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, why exactly. don't we create jobs in, in manufacturing and in supply chain and be less reliant, not unreliant, but less reliant on other nations. Uh, why don't we put our people back to work doing things that are important to us here at home as well? I, I just think there's opportunity there for anyone who can get it right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there will probably be a demand for that as well with all the supply, is supply issues that we've had with, you know, all the um, personal protective equipment and stuff. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that changes in the future. Um, just to kind of have more control over it. Um, so how can families turn this crisis into an opportunity, like when they're planning for the future? Because that's, you know, that's what you do. <laughs> you it plan is, for the is. future. So what can we, like for, take me for example, I'm debt free. Um, I've got six months of emergency fund. Now in my situation, we don't know after this week if my husband's going to get paid or not, but let's say he does keep getting paid. Um, you know, what would you advise like somebody, um, in that type of situation? They don't have any debt already. They have money in savings and they're still working. Um, it, you two ought to be maximizing your retirement plans. You ought to be making sure that you're taking advantage of every tax shelter that exists. Um, that means particularly since I know you have uh, a handful of children, yeah. um, <laughs> more, more than a handful as far as I'm concerned, you guys can't even... You guys can't even play man-to-man -man defense anymore. You got to play. No, I know. It's total chaos. I know. There's a lot of kids. All right. So um, what I would say is keep doing what you've ostensibly been doing. If you're debt-free, it means you're already a good saver and not a big spender. Um, it, it, you know, you're self-employed. You ought to be mm -hmm. funding a self-employed uh, pension, a SEP IRA or something similar to make sure you're taking advantage of the tax codes. Um, you know, if your husband has uh, benefits through his employer, Take advantage of an HSA, fund it like crazy, but don't use it. Let it grow for a few decades. Um, if you have 529 plans or other college funding for your kids, whether it's just the two of you or whether it's with their grandparents, that would be nice. Um, mm -hmm. If yeah. that was happening, <laughs> keep doing those things. This, this, is a, this is an opportunity to keep doing what you're doing. 
Um, I, I do think there's going to be uh, one of the biggest opportunities coming out of this for all families who have resources. And, and I know not everyone does, and, and, and that's sort of an unfair thing. But for those families with resources, there's never going to be a better year than this year, I don't think, to convert IRAs to Roth IRAs. Or, or, uh, and the reason for that is that the combination of low tax rates, which I think we all know will go up, mm-hmm. and low market values, which I think we all believe will go up, if not immediately, then certainly over time, means what a great year to pay taxes on some money and then let the recovery happen tax-free. Oh, that's a good idea. I, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's this a is good the, idea. <laughs> this is the second time there's been a really good opportunity for Roth conversions. The first time was back in 2010 and 2011, because coming out of the Great Recession, the government needed money. Mm-hmm. And so what they said was, if you convert in 2010, you can actually split the income on your 2010 and 2011 tax returns, so it doesn't creep up your bracket and so forth. I did my entire IRA at that time. Oh, nice. Like, yeah, if I can split the taxes and not get crushed, I, I'm, I'm in. Um, this will be another opportunity like that. However, it's imperative that you have resources that are not in the IRAs to do this. Do not pay the taxes from the retirement account. It defeats the entire purpose. Right. So, you know, if you have $50,000 in an IRA and you can move it to a Roth IRA, pay taxes on the 50,000 this year, depending on your tax bracket, it might cost you 15 grand. But if it does, and if you have that in your non-qualified assets and mutual funds in, in cash even, um, now's the time to consider that while markets are low and taxes are low, um, particularly the younger you are, the better it is. Absolutely. Now, can you kind of explain to somebody that may not know what you're talking about with the, like an IRA and a Roth IRA, like what is, what's the difference and why you would want to do that? Absolutely. An IRA, a traditional IRA or traditional 401k or 403b are plans where you take a tax deduction typically for your contributions. And that means that you're contributing money on a pre-tax basis. You're not paying taxes in the year you contribute and they grow tax deferred for as long as you hold the account. There's no 1099s, there's no capital gains, there's no tax bill on the account until you make withdrawals. When you make withdrawals, it is taxed, every withdrawal from an IRA is taxed like it's a paycheck, it's ordinary income. So it'll be at whatever rates exist then. So if you're 30 years old and you're contributing to an IRA and you don't start making withdrawals till you're 70, the account will have grown for 40 years. It will have grown to a very big number and then you'll be paying taxes on it at a future tax rate in 2060. Um, I have no idea what that tax rate's gonna be. We don't know from month to month, much less decade to decade, but it won't be lower than it is now. So you're not only amplifying the amount of the account, you're also amplifying the amount of future taxes. The Roth is where you fund with after-tax dollars. You've already paid your taxes. The Roth can grow tax-deferred for as long as you hold the account. And when you make withdrawals, they're tax-free, income tax-free. So they don't affect your tax bracket. They don't affect whether you pay taxes on your Social Security as a retired person. They don't affect your Medicare premiums when you're older. They don't affect your tax bracket at all. Um, And the beauty of that is that no matter what the tax rates are at that time, those assets are not taxable to you. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty good deal because you're not getting, it's my understanding that you're not paying tax on, you know, any of it. Like, like you said, like nothing. (laughs) Well, well, that's, that's correct. But here's the, here's the rub for, 
um, since the, the demise of the defined benefit plan, you know, everyone used to have a pension years mm -hmm. ago. Um, companies were responsible for it. And the 401k was invented not as an employer, uh, I'm sorry, not as an employee benefit, but as an employer benefit, because it took the employers off the hook to provide for retirement for their people. Mm -hmm. The 401k was not a gift to employees. It was a gift to employers who no longer had to be responsible. Right. That said, the premise of the 401k and the IRA is you're going to want to, you're going to want to make deductible contributions. Now we're going to incent you to do it because you're going to want to do that now because your tax bracket's higher now than it will be when you're retired. Well, actually that's a plan to fail. Yeah. That's all, things true. Being, all things being equal. <laughs> if we're all planning, like we make more money at 35 than we will at 65, we're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's true. That's I've never heard it said that way, but that's very true. <laughs> so, you know, if, yes, if you're planning to be nearly impoverished and abject failure when you're in your 60s and 70s, then that is the plan for you. But in the event you're thinking, man, I'm really going to grow some significant wealth, you want your tax bracket in retirement to be as high as possible because it means you have money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So would you recommend somebody, um, you know, their, their um, employer has a 401k and they have a match, would you still recommend them meeting up to the match and then moving to a, for, uh, to a Roth? Well, a lot of these companies have Roth 401ks. You can actually contribute after tax to a Roth 401k and still get the match from your employer into the traditional plan. Oh yeah, that's right. That is gonna um, at least with my last employer, that was kind of a newer thing that they had added um, that yeah, you no, could do the Roth. Your employer, in terms of running that plan, they don't care whether you're in the traditional. The Roth makes no difference. It doesn't cost the employer more or less. Um, they're still making the match the same as as they ever did. The match is not taxable to you when it happens, so it will be taxable when you retire. And that's oh, fine okay. because that's typically 3% of your income. I hope you're putting away more than 3% or 5% or 6% of your income, or you will in fact be impoverished and you will need to have a, you will be in a lower tax bracket you, to, to not be putting away at least 15 cents of every dollar you make is a recipe for disaster. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's higher than that. It depends how, how early or late you start. Now I have a, a, a dumb question here. <laughs> how do they know like which part is the employer match? Like, is it in, in a different fund or like, how is that? Is it just tracked in the account? <laughs> it's tracked. When you, when you look at a statement, the statement will have up to five or six different categories for money. So for example, it might have employee contributions, pre-tax, employee contributions, Roth, employer match. Maybe there's an employer safe harbor or a profit share. Um, there's forfeitures in the account because in a 401k, if one of your coworkers leaves the company and isn't fully vested, mm -hmm. some, their, their money that wasn't vested actually gets shared amongst all the employees pro rata. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Um, so there, I mean, there, there's going to be lots of different kinds of money in those retirement plans, but they all have access to the same mutual funds or investments. So uh, it's really just an accounting thing. And if you look at your statement, you'll see a lot of the times it's not all in one line. It's multiple lines for that reason. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't really look at it since I'm not planning to retire anytime soon. And, you know, I have a financial advisor too, that kind of helps me with stuff, but yeah, that's not, obviously I hadn't like really looked at it close enough to like notice that difference, I guess, on the, on the broader account. You know, well, I, I think there is like, you know, the employer match and stuff, but I guess I didn't really like think about it. Well, like it's, <laughs> You have an advisor, ask your advisor 
um, to, to provide you with some additional education on those kinds of things. It's important for you to not only understand what you're doing, but why. Yeah. And to be able to do that and to be able to articulate it so that you could say, this is what we're doing. This is our plan and this is why we're doing it. It's empowering for you to know rather than say, oh, we're in good hands. We got a good person. That's very true. That is very true. Now with um, the Roth IRAs, like, is that something that somebody can set up the, themselves or should they really get an advisor for that? I think almost anything we do as consumers, as American people, you can do any of it on your own. All right. This is not like a, a dental procedure. It's not a root canal. Um, there's, there's no reason people can't do it themselves. There are reasons maybe people shouldn't do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with either the complexity of some of it or the, the uh, emotion around it. I mean, people tend to make horrible decisions with money emotionally, particularly in times of crisis. Mm -hmm. um, there's a pendulum between greed and fear that never stops uh, swinging. And, you know, in, in 1999, when markets were going bonkers, Money Magazine was publishing covers that said, your neighbors are getting rich, why aren't you? Um, and then you look at, at, at 2008, and it was the world is ending, and the markets could go to zero, and we're all going to be broke. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. very sensationalized. So right. I guess my, my point is that the biggest determinant to financial success, in my opinion, is behavior not economies, not timing, not strategy. It's not about what funds you pick. It's not about, uh, it, it's not about anything that's in a textbook. It's about the way you react, particularly under stress. Absolutely. What are some of those behaviors that we can kind of start working on now that'll benefit us in the future? Um, one of them, one of the things you can do to curb some of the behaviors is to put as much on autopilot as possible. So in the same way that if you have an employer and you're putting money into your 401k with every paycheck, you don't have to think about that every other Friday and decide if this is something you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, if you can automate your savings, your investment, your uh, maybe your debt repayments, whatever you can automate so that there, you don't have to torture yourself based on what the news story du jour is, you'll always be better off. That is a behavior that, um, that will pay dividends. Another is whatever your ability to save looks like today, make a commitment either to ratchet up that percentage every year or every time you get a raise, however you decide to, to do it, but make it an automatic thing. So if you're saving 8% of your income, make sure it's gonna be nine next year or make sure when you get a raise, you at least stay at 8% of the higher number. Mm -hmm. You know, it's those kinds of things sound little and they sound simple. And frankly, once they're set, you can set it and forget it. If you want to look at your statement every quarter, you don't have to. As long as you know that you own the, a, a suitable portfolio for yourself and that you're adding to it every check, you don't have to study it every, every quarter. It's not necessary. But those behaviors matter. The other thing is um, do a full financial physical once a year. This is really simple. It's just like keeping yourself healthy. Get a physical exam, have your financial advisor walk you through a full comprehensive plan once a year, and then everything else can be tactics and strategies and, and tweaks. But once a year, know where you are and know where you are relative to your goal. And am I closer to or further from the goals that we set? And how do we need to adjust to, to reset the trajectory? It's like, it's like planning a trip. 
you know, you know where you are, you know where you want to be, but it's not linear. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not, you're, you're not going to get the same rate of return every year for 30 years and have the same inflation rate every, every year for 30 years. And it's not going to be simple like that. There'll be plus years and minus years and years where you get a bonus and years where you maybe are out of work for six months. And so it's important to be flexible, but I think once a year you should take a full inventory, sort of do that full body scan like you would do in meditation mm -hmm. for your finances. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I think that's really good advice. Um, do you have any last words of wisdom, any um, last pieces of advice? Yes. Um, what I would say is in, in, in the current environment, it is not, I think, wise to begin a financial planning exodus today because any planning you do right now will be impacted by whether you do it on Tuesday or Thursday this week because markets are moving too much. So what I would say is, if you want to consider engaging a financial advisor, go in with the idea right now that it's a second opinion. It's getting a once over, it's looking at your portfolio, it's getting to know you, but it's not trying to build some kind of fancy trajectory. Don't pay a lot of money for a financial plan right now um, because it, it will not, I don't believe it will make sense for you. It'll be so different in three months that you'll almost have to start over and you'll, you'll kick yourself. So. Mm -hmm. My advice is, yes, get some advice. I do think there's a benefit. I, I wouldn't do my own tax returns. I think it's good to have an accountant or a, or a tax preparer. Uh, I'm not using legal Zoom or one of the, the websites to do that. I have a lawyer and I have a financial advisor and am financial advisor to hundreds of families. And I, I do think there's value in professional advice, particularly where it comes to behavior. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a CPA and a financial advisor. And I mean, obviously I don't know about all the investment stuff. Like, you know, of course, like you said, you should learn about some of that stuff and at least have a basic understanding of it. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, hiring people to help you so that you can make more money and do things uh, better. <laughs> well, there, there are financial literacy tools out there. Um, there it's not taught in schools. It's, you, you can graduate with a, with a higher degree in philosophy, sociology, psychology, or, or, or biology, and not have ever taken a course on personal finance because they mm -hmm. just don't exist. Um, but you can find them in the, in, the, in the private sector. You can find them through your advisor. You can use various, um, various books or, or online tools. It just makes sense to educate yourself. It doesn't mean you have to do it yourself, but know what you're talking about. Have some idea. Absolutely. Do you have any um, recommendations for books or, you know, websites, of course, uh, your own website as well uh, for learning about these types of things? Well, I, I would say that while there are several, um, the new book that's coming out that I'm publishing this fall, which is called Don't Retire, Graduate, is written to be like a college curriculum, and it is a financial literacy tool. And I'm, I'm very excited to have it come out. It matches the podcast that we're doing and it really is designed to be educational. It's not preachy um, and it's not a textbook. It's written in a very easy language and, and first person even. So there's that. Um, I also put out a, an ebook um, which is available for free download at www.lowtaxbook.com and it is on four strategies where you can put money uh, and never have it taxed again. And of course the Roth is one of those areas, but um, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on those. They are ways to learn what some of these strategies are and how to reduce your taxes without reducing your wealth. So those are good. And then just in terms of, of general advice, 
there are some terrific columnists. I think one of the brightest in the world is Michael Kitzes, um, who writes a blog called Nerds Eye View, um, and it's brilliant. It's very technical, though, so you've got to be a you have to be interested in in the the technical side to really appreciate that. Um, I'm writing more in a in a way that's that's easy to understand. Yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> Easy to understand. You've got me really excited about this book. So hopefully um, whenever it gets closer to time to uh, being ready for purchase, maybe we can talk again and um, talk to people about um, about what you're teaching in the book as well. Um, now, I do always ask people what their favorite nonfiction book is. You know, besides your book, uh, do, you have, do you have a, non, a favorite nonfiction book or, well, you know, just something to help improve our lives? I, I think the single greatest book ever written is Atlas Shrugged. Um, and if, if you're familiar with Ayn Rand, it, it, is, it is a fictional story, but a lot of the book is nonfiction to the sense that it's philosophy. It's philosophy, it, it, it's economics, it's brilliant, um, and it's a fascinating view of sort of how the world works and, and, and things that are happening now. It was written 60 years ago, and it looks very much like our world today. So I, I think it's worth picking up. It is a heavy read. It's a long book, um, but it's, it's definitely worth reading. All right. I'll have to add that to my list. I have a very long list and no time to read right now. <laughs> uh, so where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Um, our company website is bfgfa.com, and that's the BFG Financial Advisors site. Uh, I already mentioned lowtaxbook.com. And my podcast is at don'tretiregraduate.com. So uh, I'm pretty easy to find on social media and all the various sites, YouTube. And um, I look forward to connecting with some of your listeners. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to uh, speak with us today about all this great advice on what to do right now when everybody's panicking and, you know, stressed about their finances, definitely their retirement accounts and things like that. So um, I really appreciate you coming on and, you know, calming some of those fears for us. Well, um, uh, I hope I helped a few folks and, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, Ashley, for having me. Thanks. Thank you so much to Eric for taking the time to speak with us today. And don't forget to go get your free budget spreadsheet, budget, a paycheck budget spreadsheet at leads.budgetsmadeeasy.com slash budget dash sheet. And I will link to it in the show notes and I will talk to you guys soon.